and welcome to The Big D, a podcast about divorce, about breakups, about falling out of love and falling in love again. It's a serious topic, but I won't take it too seriously. I definitely don't take myself too seriously. I am your host, Miranda, married and divorced before age 30. My friends are now placing bets on how many marriages I'll be able to pack into my life, however long it may be. In this episode, we talk to my friend Jake. It's not a divorce story. It's a big breakup story. It's a coming out story. We talk about the relationships you can lose along the way, liberating yourself and finding your true love. But first, here's the separated sibling segment where we get into the worst things people said to us after our separations. Let's be real. It's the worst things people said to me after my separation. Welcome back to the Separated Sibling segment of The Big D Podcast with your host, Miranda, and her zany younger brother, that's me, Graham. Today, we'll be discussing the question, what is the worst thing that somebody said to you when they heard about your separation or divorce? Miranda, I think it's time for a jingle. Would you lay down a beat for me? Boom, 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 boom. It's the separated siblings. We got our very own segment. Hey, yeah. What the heck? What the fuck? We're here to talk about separation. That was a high energy, like, jump up situation. Oh, God. Um, I regret that one. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, I'm sorry to you, the listener. Or not, you're welcome, is really... I promise these will either get better or worse as time goes on. <laughs> they might get worse. Okay. So, um... The question is, what is the worst thing that someone said to you after your separation or divorce? I had some hot takes. I had one friend say that the situation reminded them of an episode of Scrubs. And uh, I, I didn't expect you to say that. That's very <laughs> funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, okay. It is funny. It it is very funny. Um, but he really missed the point. Like he missed the point. Um, uh, he was like, yeah, like you know how this doctor just works a lot, and then it doesn't allow her to have a relationship with anyone else, except it's the other way around. But uh. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you can make it work. Anyways, he 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 really missed the point. And uh yeah, like scrubs for sure. Yeah. Um another friend said, "Wow, your relationship was really it for a lot of people." Oof. Don't say that. No. Listen, no relationship belongs on a pedestal. No. Um, yeah. People aren't stories yeah yeah it really that really sucked for me because I was already so self-conscious of letting people down um and hurting people's feelings and 
and shocking them. And, um, you know, I did have to manage a lot of people's feelings as I uh, came out to them as separated. I did feel in a way there was a bit of a pedestal and that made it harder for me to be honest with people about my relationship. That makes sense. I don't think I had to do so much of managing other people's feelings, and I bet that's because I'm a boy. Ooh. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I don't remember having to do a ton of that. Um, yeah, thankfully. Thankfully. Hmm. But I do feel that others had invested a lot more in... I mean, I certainly had to manage mom and dad's feelings. Yeah. Um, they were... Pretty good, I would say, in, yeah. in the fallout from from my separation and divorce. But also they did hit me with um, a lot of just not understanding why this had come about, why we were separated. Yeah. Um, and, you know, trying to explain to them and having to explain to them multiple times the same points because I think for them the sanctity of marriage and the kind of yeah. you, you stick it out no matter what mindset is more ingrained in them than it is in me, us, our generation. Yeah. And I think that also leads back to, I think, this kind of feeling that some people have that they're owed an explanation when, I mean, of course, friends care and want to know for that reason. But I think... um you know, no one's owed an explanation. Like you don't have to justify it except, you know, just to say this was right for me. Or if you were the partner who was left, I think that you you can't begin to really try and explain what your partner was thinking, really. Yeah. Yeah. You can try, but you can't. No, you can't. You can't speak know, for them. right? You yeah. don't. You don't have access to that black box. You don't. You know, no matter what, um, no matter how close you are in a marriage, obviously, everyone always remains unknowable in the end. Beautiful. Thank you. I feel like there's more to say here. Yeah. I wonder if part of why. Um, you had so much more explaining and managing of people's feelings to do as well as that at the end of my marriage, by the end of my marriage, I was pretty isolated from a lot of people. I had a pretty small circle of friends by that point. Um, thankfully, <laughs> uh, I've uh, become more of a social butterfly and have a much wider circle of lovely humans in my life now. But at the time, I really didn't. And so the people that I wanted to talk to, I was already extremely close with, and it was a much easier thing to manage. Whereas at the time of your situation, you had to manage your 150,000 close friends. I do have a lot of friends. It's my toxic trait. I have a lot of friends. My ex has a lot of friends. Uh, he has a public job. Yeah, like a lot of people knew us us together. Uh, so that was that was a challenge. I mean, we essentially came up with we, we both work in communications and like we came up with key messages to announce our separation and like what we would tell people was the reason why. That's fucked up. 
Um, it was actually helpful because then you could just like fire off a response to someone that you see on a street, you know? Yeah. Oh, hey, how's your ex? Oh, actually, we separated. Here's why in 30 seconds or less. Yeah. Done. We even talked about like basically creating a public post to explain it. And then we're like, no, that's ridiculous. We can't put out a press release about our separation. <laughs> that's taking it a step too far. Yeah. But the key messages actually helped because... We had like a little neat and tidy bow um, that we thought would, you know, give a good enough explanation to people that they would not ask more questions. Yeah. 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 That but makes sense. Yeah. But it's really not the story, not the whole story. Also, I want to take back my that's fucked up. I was just trying to have good banter. I hope it didn't hurt your feelings. Oh, it didn't. Because it is fucking weird. It is weird. But also I get that just like the number of people in your lives almost demanded it. Um, so I get why that's helpful. Yeah, it was efficient. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. yeah. Is that a wrap on that one? Yeah. All right. And listeners, I really need to come up with a phrase for you, the listeners. It sounds so old timey. My D's, my big D's, my double D's, little D's. D-squad, big dicks. Mm, I might do a poll on Instagram. Anyways, my little Ds, we need ideas for the separated sibling segment. I want you to send us your questions on Instagram. There is a form in the bio to send in anonymously if you want. You can also send me your voice notes through Anchor. There's a link in the Instagram bio as well. Check us out at Big D Pod. Send in questions you have been frequently asked, awkward questions you've been asked since your breakup. We can answer them, and then you can send the episode to your pervy or asshole friend so you don't have to be the one to talk to them. For each episode centered on personal storytelling, we spend 10-ish minutes in an empathy exercise. My friend talking, me listening, you listening. I don't edit this part of the interview at all. Sometimes when you're telling friends about a breakup, you find yourself anticipating assumptions and trying to get out ahead of them. My hope with this format is that people get to tell their story in their own words uninterrupted. So, okay, I interrupt Jake a few times. Jake and I have known each other for around 12 years, give or take. Jake is such a kind, creative guy who just oozes charisma. That's why he works in sales and he is very good at it. We have so much fun together and he's one of my closest friends. He, like my first guest, Bryce, is an ex-pastor. That's right. This podcast could just be about the secret lives of pastors. Scandalous. And his story is quite or it was at the time, and it really shouldn't have been. He came out as gay while working at a church and is a survivor of conversion therapy. We get into it, and I will say he has lived many lives, but the storyline he finds himself in now is a beautiful one. Okay. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to set the scene for listeners. We are sitting on Jake's blue velvet couch. Um, we are uh, drinking glasses of white wine. Boxed. Boxed white wine. And we started. <laughs> we started a little bit ago. So we are primed. We are lubricated. lubricated. That's <laughs> fitting. That's a fitting. You need lube that. for a big D. Oh, I like where we're going. Where is this podcast going? I don't know. <laughs> I'm buttoning your shirt. Um, yes, he's doing it. Okay, so what is our meet cute, Jake? Our meet cute was 12 years ago. Let me set that scene. Muskoka Woods. Sports resort. Sports resort. Is that what it was? Yeah. That's weird. It's a very fancy camp north of Toronto. Yes. And I, at the time, I met you and your ex. Mm -hmm. Like, you were, you know, partnered pair. Yes. And it was cold. It was winter. It was a winter weekend retreat. We... Our jobs were to be super high energy, so that's, I mean, it's not so much out of character. <laughs> no. And we were very good Christian youth. Teenagers? Were we teenagers? 12, no, 12 years, 20. I was yeah. 20. Yeah, God, yeah, 32 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a teenager. I would have been 18 or 19. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was when that was our meet cute. Just we were leaders of the youth, the leaders of the, youth. the leaders of tomorrow. Yes, the leaders. Yes, <laughs> um, and we've stayed in touch. Yes, off and on, off admittedly. On. Yes, there was a period of time actually after I got married where we fell out of touch, mm -hmm. which I think is my fault. Uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> you invited me to sing at your wedding and I said no. <laughs> also my fault. <laughs> yeah, but that didn't have to be the friendship ending. Like I didn't intend it to be friendship. No, ending. it was never intentional, I don't think. Um you were living um in Guelph, which for people who do not know Southern Ontario is like an hour away. Yeah. I don't drive. Well, I did it. Now I drive, um, as of a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Yeah, and then we uh, we found our way back to each other. We did through Grinder. Grinder. Oh yeah. Are we getting into can that? You, can you tell that Do story? Yeah, I can tell the story. So, I it was a Grinder. It was Tinder. Uh, okay. Okay. But like, I was also on Grinder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, a friend of yours had seen me on there, and on Tinder you can see like mutual mutual friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. And I should not have been on Tinder at the time because I was in a heterosexual relationship slash engaged. We'll get into that later. Yes. <laughs> and then he asked you about me, like if you, right? If he, yeah. if he you know. Would re re recommend guy. you. Yeah. And you're like, well, <laughs> not right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and that reconnected us. That was it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I reached out and just uh, said, hey, <laughs> FYI. Just so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we got to know each other again. 
yeah, as new different people. New different people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to share your breakup story, your big breakup story. Yeah. It was a big one. <laughs> it was a big one. So why don't you just start wherever you would like? Okay. Um, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> no, just to like set, you know, set the background for this story. Grew up very conservative, Christian, southwestern Ontario, just outside of Sarnia. Um, if you don't know where that is, that's like three hours from Toronto. And yeah. our house was surrounded by farms. Like we didn't live on a farm, but everything else was a farm. Um, so literally very, you know, very rural uh-huh. area. Um, grew up in a Baptist church, didn't we all? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our, um, our childhoods were inspired by Footloose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The rebels. <laughs> rebels. Um, yeah, so that's just some background of like how I grew up. And so the, the idea growing up was always there was, a, there was a plan. And whether it was like communicated verbally or through examples that your yeah. you know, parents instill in you and things like that. The, the plan was you go to university, you find a woman to marry, you marry her, you have a great job, you have kids, you buy a house. Play hockey on the weekends. Play hockey on the weekends and pretend that it's not about looking at guys in the change room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that, that was the plan. That was, you know, what was like instilled in me. That was what was Mm. expected. And I felt that. I felt that huge, especially because then I decided to go to school to become a youth pastor, um, which I did for about four years you know, that, that whole life and, and whether you know this about Christianity or not, like there is a huge expectation that you get married. Mm-hmm. Like it's massive. And people might be listening be like, no, no, like celibacy is also a viable option. It's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but, according to the research, it is not. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even, even like within like Christianity, like that's never really an option, right? Like it's always yeah. like everyone's always asking like, when are you going to find a girlfriend? When are you going to get married? When are you going to find a, you know what I mean? Like it's just very weird and heteronormative. So yeah, that, so I went to school I'd become a youth pastor and I was, and I've dated girls for like ever. And it was always obviously like to cover up the fact, you know, I was trying to hide something, you know being gay, um, if you didn't catch it. <laughs> um, but then when I was in Guelph working as a youth pastor, I met this girl. She was like the girl, you know, like good Christian, beautiful. Like all the guys were like, oh, this this girl was like the girl, right? Um, and she also liked me. So we started dating, quite quickly became engaged and that, so I was like, you know, it was, it was perfect. I, you know, had done the conversion therapy thing. I was like setting my life straight, pun intended. Well, uh, well. <laughs> you know, just, I, I was on track. I was, you know, my plan, the plan was coming together. The plan my parents had for me, the plan society had for me, the plan the church had for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I met this girl. We were engaged, planning a wedding together. Um, on the outside, everything looked great, right? And I, I've had conversations with people who who know me really well, and they're like, 
you coming out, I know is the best thing. Not only, you know, like sexuality and things aside, like your life on the outside, like was by the book. It was perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. I had this beautiful girl. I had a great job. I car, all these things, right? Like mm-hmm. everything was in order based on what I knew was supposed to be in order. Yeah. And so we, we, you know, go through the engagement. We start planning lots of things, booking lots of things. Um, and I think it was a month before, maybe a month and a half, it got to a point where I was so stressed. I was so like, yeah, just anxious all the time. And I, I just I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And she, you know, she knew I had been in conversion therapy. She knew like all these things about me. And, but I, yeah, I, we, we just had a conversation. She was the first one I came out to officially. Mm. Um, and it was because I was breaking up with her. And in doing so, you know, in ending that relationship, that was the start of like a ripple effect of my life just like crumbling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ending that relationship, which was huge. Like we, yeah, we were, we got engaged quite quickly, but like we were a big part of each other's lives. So, I, you yeah. know, lost that relationship. And I knew because I worked at a church, you know, the next step, because, you know, people like to ask questions. Well, why did, why did that end? You're supposed to get married in a month, right? Well, then I had to have an answer. And at this point in time, I'm like, well, I might as well just keep going with it. You know, like just tell the truth, just be honest. And so that, that was the ripple effect. And so I came out at, at work at the church I worked at, was basically given an option and they will argue against this, but was basically given an option of like, well, you could like be celibate and mm-hmm. stay or you can choose this life and move on. So obviously I moved on. I am living this life, you know, whatever that is, a normal life. Exactly. <laughs> right? normal life. Just this life. <laughs> but yeah, lost that job, lost with, and with that and a steady income and all these things. And life was really hard for a while financially. And then the next step was to tell my parents why that relationship ended. Right. And it was, uh, for, for a while I, I was, I said to them, I said, I really need you to respect this privacy. I will tell you the reason, but I just need a little bit of time and I need, just let me process. And I, but I will tell you why this relationship ended. And so one day I remember I drove to my parents, um, mom was there with her Bible ready with the, the sticky notes in it, with the, you know, typical attack verses that saying, just telling me that homosexuality is a sin and going to hell, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, that was essentially the ripple effect. So like from ending this relationship, you know, getting back to that, that put in effect all these other things that just seemed to like crumble underneath me. The timing of this uh, chat that we are having is very fortuitous because we are celebrating a really incredible milestone for you. Yeah. Do you want me to say it? Please say it out loud because it's so exciting, but you have to explain what the fuck happened. (laughs) A lot happened. (laughs) So after, you know, the relationship ended and things like that, a few months later, she actually, about half a year later, um, she was waiting outside my work at the time in Guelph. Um, I was working just a, you know, minimum wage, whatever job. 
She's waiting outside. It was right before the holidays. And as I walked out to my car, she was there, handed me an envelope, basically being like, I'm suing you for all the money I put towards the wedding. I was like, well, happy. I was like, Merry fucking Christmas to you too. And I walked away. Like, that's all I could say in the moment. I was so mad. Um, But so, you know, negotiated back and forth, whatever, whatever. As of this month, that is finally, which after what seems like a lifetime. How many years were you paying her? I started paying her when I moved to Korea. So 2017. So four years. Yeah. It is paid off. Cheers. I am free. You're free. <laughs> uh, fuck that bitch. As you know, I have so many revenge fantasies because mm-hmm. I understand, you know, you, she put a lot of money in. But if you have like an ounce of humanity in you, how could you do that to someone who was going through so much? You know, it's like horrific. And I'm just, you did it. You're done. You did it. There's nothing (laughs) more tethering you. Nothing. I'm completely disconnected from her and it's the best feeling in the world. I can move forward with my life and my savings. (laughs) I'm like, I like 300 extra dollars a month now. What am I going to do? I'm going to save it. I, I should probably save it. But you should, I think you should also treat yourself. I'm going to buy a bottle of champagne. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Um, so, question. Mm-hmm. Did you love her? It's a loaded question. I have so many loaded questions for I know. you. Audience, we're about to get into it. We're, we're going down. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I did love her. Mm-hmm. Now, we know there are various kinds of love. Yeah. Was I ever sexually attracted to her? No. Yeah. Obviously. And maybe not obviously, but but I did I did care for her a lot. I did love her. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like grieving that relationship? It was weird because it was so tied up in other things, like that ripple effect I talked about, right? Yeah. So, like, the grieving wasn't just that relationship, though that was part of it. It was also loss of a job, loss of family, loss of stability. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm grieving that particular relationship anymore, but I think I am still grieving it, processing everything that followed, yeah. right? Yeah, it sucks. Like, she was someone, like, who, before we started dating, was a friend, right? And then then we started dating, and that was a whole other relationship, and that was the end of a friendship, which is always difficult. But at the same time, I almost felt more relief than grief. And maybe relief is a a piece of grief. I don't know. Like, maybe they're tied into each other. I mean, they can exist at the same time. Yeah. And, And the relief wasn't, like oh, phew, she's out of my life. Like, that wasn't it. It was more relief of, like, oh, I don't have to live this lie anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah, it, it was it, it was definitely a process. And the grief, was, it's a complicated grief because it's her and, like I said, everything, everything else. Everything else. Tied to it. It's massive life changes. Yeah. 
exactly. multiple relationships yeah. impacted. Um, so when you broke off the engagement and came out, did you know already at that point that you wanted to get married again? Yes. Now, <laughs> this is actually something I've thought a lot about over the past year, yeah. let's say like marriage and, you know, just the whole idea of marriage and having it, it it's such a, I don't know, like it, from a very young age, I can remember like from a young age, you know, marriage was something to be celebrated. Marriage was like yeah. the thing to aim, like that was the point of life, right? Basically it was to like get yeah. married and have a family and, you know, all these things. Um, and yeah, I, I, I always wanted that. And I think, no, no, I, sorry. Backtrack. I don't think I like, I'm very happy to be married now. Like I, yeah. you know, like I am a relationship type person, right? Yeah. Like I'm not like yeah. a do whatever I want, free bird, <laughs> you know? Like, and, and so I, I think even then I, I still knew I would get married someday. Yeah. Did you, or like, do you, did the way that religion constructed marriage impact kind of like your feelings around getting engaged again to a man? Yes. How? Yes. In the, I guess this is maybe even tied to like the grief thing yeah. we talked about is like in the months following the breakup, like there was a lot of crying, mm. right? And, and it was shame mostly I think that was triggering it like it was you know the right thing is to marry a woman you know this is what like God wants that's because that's what I you know had been like can I say brainwashed with my whole entire life right yeah. like that was like that was it yeah um and so when I started dating and when I started you know just being gay being you know being myself like yeah that idea of marriage was still in my mind every time I picture marriage or even like this sounds outdated, but it's, it's not, it's still an issue. There's not enough like representation in media still. Like when you, everything is about like romantic relationships and it's, it's a man and a woman, yeah. right? A cis man and woman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, even after that, it was, even though I knew I wanted to get married someday, there was still that question of like, but should I, right? Maybe the church was right. Maybe I should just be celibate yeah. and then I won't be living in sin, right? And so are the, like, these are the thoughts that I was like always going back and forth with, even once I start, yeah, like I said, started dating and getting into serious relationships yeah. and things like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like you have to fight for your own liberation coming from a Christian upbringing. Yeah, you have to unlearn you, everything. Yeah. Conscious like, deconstruction yeah. of your whole life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that was the thing. It's like everything I knew after this relationship ended, everything I thought to be true, everything, you know, was just gone. Yeah. Right? And I didn't know yeah. where to look at that point. Right? Yeah. Thankfully, I had a lot of people who came along and, and you know, were there for me still. Yeah. Not still, but we're there for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so we just paused because Jake's husband, Ray, came in and we had to greet him, of course. And he's going to be cooking dinner for us. Some nice Korean food. Um, some Korean food. We're very lucky. 
Um, this is the best podcasting gig ever. <laughs> so what was it like exploring your sexuality as an out person, being out? Yeah, it. once I came out and I, you know, wasn't working at a church anymore, I didn't have any of those, you know, restrictions on me. I, it was very liberating, mm-hmm. right? All the questions, even like, I, I know you asked about sexuality, but even like the questions I had about religion and God yeah. and things like that, like I could start look like reading about and I could start asking those questions, which I didn't feel that I was able to before. Yeah. And then that let me like question about the whole purity culture and saving yourself till marriage. You know, that is very much about like within Christianity. So again, for the first little bit, especially, I think there was a lot of shame attached Mm. to like, you know, when I would have sex or whatever else, right? Just exploring that. Like it was, it was really shameful to like in my mind still. Yeah. But the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it critically, the more I asked these questions that I couldn't ask, I was able to make my own conclusions about sexuality and sex and what is good and how good it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and and I just I just didn't feel after after a bit, I didn't feel like held back anymore. I could just explore, right? I, I could just Yeah. Figure it out for myself. And that was fun. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Right? And and in a way it was like being a teenager again, right? Yeah. Because I'm, you know, having sex for the first time now and I'm I'm exploring yeah. my sexuality for the first time and I'd never been given the permission to do that before. Yeah. But it was almost like once the relationship ended, once all that ripple happened, it almost, as hard as it was, gave me the permission to just explore, yeah. to, to try things. You were able to do everything as your authentic self. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what was it like falling in love for the first time out of the closet? Yeah, it was like falling in love for the first time, right? It, it, it didn't, it, I had never experienced that before fully, right? Romantically, sexually, all, the whole package, I'd never fallen in love before. So it was, this is going to be so cliche and gross. Give like, it to me. It was magical. Like yes. it was like... <laughs> fireworks it was you know like yeah. it was everything that as like hopeless romantic boy growing up you know falling in love because of disney movies yeah like that it felt like it was supposed to feel it felt it felt right right yeah. I, I wasn't pretending anymore I, I didn't have to force anything it was just happening yeah and it was it was, it was really beautiful yeah that's amazing yeah i think we talked about this a little bit but were there lingering emotions from your first engagement that impacted your current romantic relationship? So you are married now. So mm-hmm. when you got engaged to your gorgeous husband, were there feelings that like came up as a result of you going through this really, can I say traumatic? Yeah, yeah. First, first, yeah. first engagement? Yeah. I think the only lingering feeling or feeling I had out of the first time engagement was when I proposed to my now husband Mm -hmm. 
I I feel like I just breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> I I'm, wasn't going to. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. But it was a sigh of relief because I didn't, like, I had found him. Right? And it wasn't, it wasn't what I had grown up believing was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It was like something I found. It was something I did found this man who I like deeply, deeply love. And there were no lingering feelings from the past relationship. Like that was the only lingering feelings was like anger and frustration. (laughs) The whole lawsuit thing. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you. But it was, yeah, it was a sigh of relief. It was a weight off my shoulders. It was, this is what I've been again, as corny as it sounds, this is what I've been looking for. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as this podcast is about breakups, it's also about finding love again. And that's like part of the reason why I was so excited to interview you, Mm because it's not just like this story about coming out. It's not just a story about a broken engagement. It's also a story about finding yourself and like committing to yourself and then finding love because of it and you know what like the and this will make me cry probably you too what was what's so special about my marriage now and finding ray is i was told when i came out i was told by people who worked at the church that if you do this you'll never find love Mm. right They, they they told me multiple people told me if you make this decision if you go down this road You'll never find love. And you'll never feel accepted. Fuck you guys. Fuck you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Can you yeah. believe people have the audacity to say something like that to another human being? I mean, I think that honestly is them projecting onto you how deeply unhappy they are. Mm-hmm. And like the cognitive dissonance that they live with every day. And that's not to say like they should have or deserve empathy. Yeah. But that is just so untrue. Yeah. I mean, I'm living proof that it's untrue. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So how has your relationship to your own sexuality evolved or changed or not since you've been married? I think a lot of my perception of my own sexuality is really sometimes unhealthily attached to my body mm. when I, I think sexuality is, is much more than that but I feel I don't know how to say this my body like everybody fluctuates right yeah and I'm talking weight I'm you know how it looks like these sorts of things And to me, it's too closely tied up to, in my own mind, of my sexuality and Mm. my worth sexually. Right. Right? Yeah. So if I'm talking about, like, the sex part of sexuality, Mm -hmm. which I promised my husband I wouldn't air all of our dirty laundry, (laughs) etc., or clean laundry or whatever laundry, (laughs) Um, but being married and having someone who thinks I'm sexy regardless of what my body looks like 
is also some like a new concept to me. It's like revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is revolutionary. As I was working at this church in Guelph, there was this thing that, mm-hmm. you know, the other like young guy pastors would say, and it was like the thing you did before you got married was the look good naked diet. What? Oh sorry. Have you not heard of this? I haven't heard. Okay, I I know that there are like pre-marriage diets and stuff, um, yeah. which I did not do because fuck that. Um, yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> um, this is an anti-diet podcast, to yeah. be clear. But tell me about this because I have not heard about men talking about a pre-marriage diet before. Yeah, so because in Christianity, like you save yourself till marriage, so your partner, which oh my you can God. get into if you want, but like, um, I mean, yeah, very um, problematic. I mean, yeah. Have sex with someone before you get married, just so you know if it's good or not. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing we, else, just figure we out. We are officially good. prescribing sex. Just kidding. This is a sex positive environment, which yes. means that if you choose celibacy, that is great for you. Yes. And it, yes. And so there's this thing that because your partner is about to see you naked for the first time, mm. you need to look good for that moment. Right. So for the guys, it's this look good naked diet. So for like the six months or whatever before your marriage, as soon as you get engaged, you like hit the gym, you eat well, you get your body ready for that night. I've never heard of this. It's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. But that's also like, like super normal for brides. Yes. 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 But I didn't know that this existed for men. Yeah. But also I'm very unsurprised that it exists in the Christian world bubble. Well, unfortunately, like in Christianity, there's so much expectation in all areas, right? How you look, how you act, who you marry, uh, the words you say, the, you yeah. know. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's a mess. So discovering my own body and worth and what I like yeah. in the bedroom, you know, like what I, what pleases me, you know, what like really gets me going. That's been really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a bit sad that people deprive themselves of that experience. Mm-hmm. As a choice, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. That's the end of my questions. Okay. Is there anything else that you think that you want to make sure the listeners know about your breakup story, about your finding love again story that we haven't talked about? The, for me, the biggest thing that helped, because it, it wasn't like... Like, no breakup is easy. Like, I don't want to, like, come across as, like, some breakups are easier than others. Like, no breakup is easy, right? In my situation, when I was hearing those words, you'll never find love again. When I was, you know, having those thoughts of, like, shame around who I was and who I wanted to be with and these sorts of things. If I didn't adopt a slight fuck you attitude, I wouldn't be where I am today. I, I don't think I would have found love again. And if love is something, like for me, love was something that I wanted to find. Yeah. Right? Marriage is something that I really wanted. And if I didn't stop listening to people and, and unfortunately cutting some people out, yeah, then 
those voices are the ones that would have held me back from being where I am today. Yeah. Right. And so I think like if there's anyone out there who can relate in any way to my story, and I know like there's so many, I've discovered a lot of people (laughs) since I came out. If you keep those people in your life, that that poison in your life, like it's just going to stunt it, you know? Yeah. And so. Yeah. Like choosing yourself means sometimes that you have to say no to other things. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just aren't like as, as close as you might've been at one point, some people just aren't worth keeping around anymore Yeah. because they don't. And I've been called selfish for having this mindset, but like they don't fit anymore with who you are and where you want to be right I think it's selfish but in like a good way <laughs> the good kind the of good selfish. kind <laughs> like in the like it ha- it's the only way that you've been able to be yourself because those people are close to who you are mm-hmm. yeah and in the same breath like finding people like you like we reconnected when I was about yes. to come out, yeah. you know, it was, it was slightly before, but yeah, like now we've reconnected as two different people than we were before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we were never as close as we are before. No. Like, yeah, you're it's one true. of my best friends now. Yeah. Because of who we've become. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think people perceive it as like a closed mindset but those boundaries are so healthy and actually mm-hmm. bring people into your life that 100%. Um, will help you just even more become the person you were meant to be. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. I knew that you would be completely honest Um The candor in our relationship has been such a blessing to me throughout the past few years. Lil Dees, our next episode kicks off a three-part series on co-parenting through a separation, through a pandemic. In the first episode, I'm talking to collaborative mediator Lori Stein. She's an expert on parenting negotiations and believes that courts are a last resort. I didn't even know there was an alternative. Did you? In between episodes, join us on Instagram at Big D Pod. Subscribe, finger that like button, and share with your friends, lovers, and exes. Thanks for listening. Original music was written, composed, and is performed by the award-winning singer Posey. Thanks to my secret producer. You know who you are. The Big D is written, edited, sound foley, sound mixing, public relations by me, your host, Miranda. So that means you may not get episodes on a perfect schedule. Thank you for your patience. And of course, thank you to all of my friends who believed I could and can. So I did and I do. Mm